Welcome back. We've been a little bit consumed with live streaming and gotten away from the podcast for a little while. Uh, it's been justified. We've been kind of having some interesting interactions with Antifa, Black Block, anarchists, whatever you want to call them, the folks that dress head to toe in black and kind of co-opt and take over some of the protests that have been going on for Black Lives Matter. So we thought this time we'd kind of go straight to the belly of the beast and sit down with America's best-known anarchist, Jeff Munson. All right, welcome to the David Ross Show. Today, I've got uh, an old friend, and um, what I said the other day is probably America's uh, most famous communist, anarchist, uh, world champion fighter, Jeff Munson. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Uh, glad to be here, Dave. Nice to see you, too. <laughs> um, crazy times for you to be visiting. Um, tell, me, tell everybody where, you're, where you live. Um, I live in a city called Krasnogorsk, Russia, which is about 30 minutes um, outside of Moscow driving. And uh, I've been there just for a couple of years. And you are from where, where I am now, Olympia, Washington. Yeah, I grew up in Olympia. What what made you, uh, are you, are you a Russian citizen? Are you still an American citizen? And what made you go there? Um, well, I'm a dual citizen. I got, I got Russian citizenship. Um, but... Um, I, you know, I just, I was going back and forth um, since I fought, oh, like in maybe 2012. I fought Fedor Emelianenko, like one of the legends, and um, <clears throat> I lost the fight, um, but ended up meeting Vladimir Putin, met some like high ranking officials, met a lot of people there. Um, and from there, um, it just kind of more, I had some more fights that I was more successful in, and then it just kind of, like morphed into, um, you know, really liking Russia, them, them liking me, and um, it just like kind of mushroomed into like a lot more than I ever expected. So, for people who don't know a lot about your background, you were a uh, Division One All American or or national champion, I think, or close. Uh, yeah, I did all right wrestler. in wrestling. Yeah, not I won the Pac Ten and did all right in wrestling, but um, you know, I always and then I got into mental health. Um, and worked in mental health, actually in Olympia and, and in Centralia. Um, but I never, you know, got kind of where I wanted or dream wise, like the sports, you know, your ultimate goal. And, um, and then I was able to achieve that, um, you know, a few years later in the world championships of jujitsu and, um, then everything kind of blossomed from there. So you, uh, some people may not know that there's kind of a global world championship, uh, obviously, but, uh, is it still held every year in Abu Dhabi? It's every two years, and it's not. It's no longer in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. It's um, in different places. Um, so it's been in China. Moves around. Yeah, they. It's. Uh, I think it was Abu Dhabi for the first four times, maybe, but now it's like all over the world every two years. Yeah. And you won that multiple times, yeah. Yeah, I won a couple times. So then you moved into what most people are more familiar with, and that's uh, you know uh, MMA. Yeah, UFC style fighting. Yeah, um, I remember. Actually, I remember back when when we used to work together in psychiatric social work, and you were just getting started in MMA, and it was in uh, you know 
lounges in 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 bars and hotel, <laughs> hotel ballrooms and that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden you launched into things like at the Tacoma Dome and casinos and then launched into world worldwide um what how long ago did you change from working in mental health to to actually fighting as a as a career for money and and how you support yourself and that kind of stuff um well you know in and uh, when I first won the Worlds, I was 99, a long time ago. Um, then for the next few years, I was doing doing the World Championships and then also doing MMA. I think it was like maybe 2003 or four when I completely stopped doing um, MMA, or I mean, sorry, uh, um, mental health and went into fighting. But, you know, <clears throat> it was a hard transition because I thought, okay, man, I, I, I just fought in the UFC twice. Yeah, I'm doing all right and working mental health. I'm gonna I'm gonna go full time, like fighting, and I'm I'm not gonna even have this job. So that way, it'll I'll be able to train full time and everything like that. And then a fight fell through. Then I got injured. Then another fight fell through, and it went like you know nine months with no income, not being able to pay rents, not being able to like feed my wife and my two kids. And it was like, um. It was it was desperate times, and uh, well, luckily I I got a opportunity to go to Florida and and join American Top Team, and um, you know they took care of me, they like saved me really, um, and so from there I've always been a America, uh, member of America Top Team and been able to you know have the opportunities to like just fight full time. So American Top Team is a, a fighting camp. Yeah, basically, it's a right? fighting, it's a fighting school. We have, um, you know, for just people wanting to come in and train. You know, it's it's a, actually a fan, you know, off the subject. It's just like a fantastic setup because you have this massive gym, like massive, and um, you know, you come in and someone, you have probably fifty professional fighters, like twenty of which are in the UFC currently. Um, you know, world world champions, UFC champions, like Abu Dhabi champions, all this like in one place. And then you have the regular cat. You have kids classes. You have like adult classes. You have like people just coming off the street and joining up just to get you know to training to you know so I don't sit on a treadmill and an exercise bike to try to lose weight or get in shape. They're actually learning something and having fun and meeting people. And man, we these professionals, these world champions, just mingle. These guys you see on TV just mingle and just are in the same training facility, like sometimes do the, the classes or teach the classes with these people. So, you know, imagine going to, you know, like going to the gym and you're working out, you know, Russell Wilson's like, like doing spotting you for for bench press or something like that or showing you how to do this like every day you know like it's it's like that kind of atmosphere so it's pretty cool and there's like no um no egos there's no um you know i'm this or that it's just you know everybody's a family it's really it's a fantastic uh so you had kind of a setup it sounds like great weather great location kind of a sponsorship and a great training facility what would what would pull you out of that and out of america to go live in Russia, um, you know, I, I, you know, I fought. Well, I, I fought in Russia, and then um, I, I did that fight with Fedor, and you know, the people just kind of took me in after that. You know, it's that they know what you know. I ended up actually the the day before the fight, during the before the weigh-ins, I did a seminar for a bunch of communist anarchists. Um, then I did another seminar. 
um, actually a few days before that for just regular people. What kind of seminar are we talking about? Like, like a, like a jujitsu, like self-defense seminar, just like, you know, so I did it for free. Like, Hey, just, you know, cause they contact me, you know, they like, Oh my God, Jeff Munson's coming to Russia. And they like, you know, they contacted me. I don't know how. Are, are you a big name in the communist anarchist community in America? Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like I, like from around here for sure i i you know i don't know like um like quite honestly i've had some like antifa guys that i was um like associated with from greece and england that are really angry with me right now because they saw my affiliation with um getting involved in politics in russia with um being a city commissioner with like actually being part of government as a betrayal. And so now they see me as kind of like the enemy. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess most people understand that, um, you know, the stuff I do is, is, you know, I attempt to do at least is for, um, the social good of as many people as I can do. And, um, so let me see, can we, can we break this down a little bit? Because, uh, when I say Antifa, um, it, it's got a couple different meanings and probably it does all over the world and maybe with you. Uh, locally here, what I've seen, the people we describe as Antifa are people that just want to dress all in black or they sometimes are called Antifa black block and they want to smash shit, burn shit, um, uh, vandalize and spray paint stuff. Um, I would also call anarchists that are called those people anarchists. If you say you're an anarchist, that means something different to you, doesn't it? Well, I, I'm not saying like destroying stuff or like a, a, like appropriately putting force against someone trying to oppress you is is wrong. I'm not um, saying that, but um, anarchism like uh, is about it's really about love. It's about like uh, caring for your fellow people. It's like that's anarchism. I mean, that's a definition. Is like we're going to share. We're going to have. We're not going to have. Why are we not having government? Why are we not having um, institutions that have hierarchy over us? Because we're all the same. We're all equal. We all want to help each other. We don't want to, we want to get away with all forms of oppression. So if we're going to get away with all forms of oppression, um, then we can't have these these constructs in the way. But going on a tip over, I see a car that belongs to Mike Smith or Joe Schmo, and I tip it over, I, I smash its windows, or I see a, sh a shop, a little mom and pop shop, and I smash the windows and I spray paint it. Um, I'm, I'm oppressing that person, right? I'm, I'm showing like no regard for um, not only the safety of that person, but uh, what, what they have to go through. They got to fix it. They have to, maybe they get, they're going to lose a couple of days of, of salary or they're not going to be able to work or, you know, they can't afford to do, especially in this, you know, pandemic we're under. So you're oppressing that person. So, um, you so know. it sounds like you're not a big fan of some of the stuff we often af uh, associate well, the, the problem is the media, the media like groups everyone together. They like, if there's destruction, they're anarchy. And I like, I really, it's, it's, uh, I really hate when people call destruction or chaos or just like an anarchy. Oh, they're anarchy. It's anarchy. It's anarchy. Like, that's not anarchy, man. Anarchy, anarchy is, is 
doing away with oppression. And if you're if you're actively oppressing some way, if you're a cop oppressing someone, if you're like dressed in black going out at night and oppressing people walking on the street that have nothing to do with what you're trying to do, if you're hurting people, hurting property that has nothing to do with what you're trying to say, then you're oppressing people. So you're you are not an anarchist. Like just by definition, you're not an anarchist. Um so an anarchist has an idea, has a has a goal, has a has a um you know has, has some feelings of care for his fellow fellow man, and that's that's what anarchism to me. So you're a little. You, you said just a few minutes ago that you're, I guess, in some hot water with some anarchists or Antifa about the fact that you're kind of getting uh, involved in the day to day minutia of you know, running a city or running, running a county or whatever it is yeah. in Russia. How do you, how do you reconcile those two things? What, what are you doing over in Russia as a Russian citizen to help, help improve people? And uh, why is that okay? And why are people pissed off about that? Um, well, you know, um, I'm trying, so I, I was, uh, got this opportunity to be a, a city commissioner in this very fairly, um, growing but small city outside of moscow and um you know i just do what i'm like like i said when they were offering this position to you know try for election um i said look i'm just going to do the things that i i'm good at what am i good at i'm good at working with kids so i'm, I'm setting up you know set up a free children's school for kids for martial arts is free and then we did it for adults too for free so we're doing sports we're doing community events um we did we started a re huge recycling program that's been like a booming success um there's a lot of people in in russia it's a little different in russia when you when you buy apartments or buy a complex so the a builder like say gonna build a ten thousand comp uh apartment complex he'll go get the money from all the people like he'll get 10,000 people to pay the the price, go get loans. And so he's got all this money to build and he'll start building. But what happens in Russia, um, they've since changed the law. They can't do this any, long, any longer. But those people who paid for these apartments before, the builders sometimes would just leave or like see that the um, the math wasn't going to work out. He wasn't going to make the profit that he's done. And he just leaves, like moves away to a different city, starts another company. And these people are left still having to pay mortgage until they pay off this apartment that is never going to be built. And they're playing in the place they live in now. Um, so anyway, um, I'm working, that's a huge, huge thing that I'm working with right now, trying to help these people um, get, um, another apartment try to get re compensated trying to work with um we, we we got the banks in russia like the 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 bank of russia to um give these guys a forbearance for a year not have pay any interest any payments to try to get themselves together so that was like a little a little victory um but we're working with like i'm doing this stuff um working with homeless people um so why are you doing all this stuff in russia instead of in america well, I, I tried to do this in America. I spent three months in jail. <laughs> um, tell, tell us about that. Well, you, you know, I spray painted the Capitol building. Uh, it, it wasn't. This was this was going on what like this, fifteen years ago? No, like yeah, twelve years. So this is the onset of you know the in the middle of the Iraq Afghanistan wars, and so they had a they were sending 
you know, you re- I'm sure you remember this. They're sending like troops and equipment from McCord from Fort Lewis using the Port of Olympia as a right as a transport to you know Iraq or to the Middle East. And the right, I mean, just remember right in the middle of the day, all of a sudden, all the tree, you know, Fourth, Fifth Avenue, State Avenue, like closed down because here come these these semis with these tanks with these, you know. And it got blockaded a few times. You know, we're trying to like stop it. We would all get arrested and spray and um, pepper sprayed and this. And it was like our kids are watching this. This 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 war is illegal. You know, the UN didn't sanction this war. Um, they never found weapons of mass destruction. You know, and we're going off killing a million and a half people in the Middle East, sending our troops. We're losing thousands of our own people, our own citizens, and people who worked, you know, I had a gym in Olympia at that time, um, a jiu-jitsu gym, and some of my guys were in the military, and they were being sent over to Iraq and Afghanistan during this time, like my friends, and I was like, and so there was a big petition in Olympia, and like thousands of people signed it saying, no, we don't want to use our port, we don't want to use our port for, for the, you know, to sanction this war. They just say, no, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do what we want. Where the Port of Olympia um, is getting, um, you know, they're getting money from the military for this. So they ignored it. So I went and spray painted on the Capitol. And I did this. Why did I do this? Because when the legislators, this was like a Thursday evening, like at five o'clock, it wasn't, there were people walking in and out of the building still. This wasn't like in the middle of the night, dressed in black. I mean, I wore sweats in a, in a, and a hoodie with no with with the hood up with hood down you know like you see my face you know it's like i just sprayed i said you know the anarchy sign the peace sign said stop the war and poverty because i wanted our legislators when they walked in friday morning to see that some people in olympia did not approve of what they were doing and like to pay attention like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna read our um look at our signatures on a on a on a paper that says hey we don't want to do this and we have thousands of signatures then you're going to walk you're definitely going to see this when you walk into the building and i also love you know it's what it's also not um publicized the media as i left a, uh, a note you know i typed out a note said this is why that we're i'm do that were upset and i described the war how it was illegal why the people were angry um how they were facilitating you know talking about you know what we talked about the Nuremberg trials and stuff. We they after this they put a, a precedent that they were trying people and and prosecuting people like regular German citizens who were next to concentration camps because they allowed this to go on. They yeah they didn't maybe participate they didn't support it they didn't like it but they let it go on they didn't protest or whatever and it they you could be deemed criminally um, like. Uh, like uh like it's your fault for for um like allowing this to go on and i said this is international there's international law you know so you made national headlines i think because the espn magazine at the time was did they photograph you doing that they or photographed did you- it and it was um actually you know it wasn't it wasn't a setup um this was planned before they came they did like a two they followed me around for like two days but they were actually out my house when i when i was going and i was meeting a friend and i said don't come to this because you can you could be right you know i i thought there's a 50 50 chance that someone's gonna see me pray painting the police the guards the security is gonna see me they're gonna rest because it's like i said it's five o'clock in the you know, sure early evening and they said no 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 we'll, we'll come and so they photographed it so nothing happened forever and then about three months later when the story ran the very next day um 
like you know the SWAT team at the house and this and that. So, so what what was the end game as far as your um, your your penalty for doing that? A, a felony, um, like restitution, restitution of I don't know, like twenty five thousand dollars, something like this, twenty three thousand um, dollars. You know, uh, one year probation. So it was it was quite significant for spending time in jail for it. Oh, and three months in jail. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a lot for what you believe in. But the, uh, the reason I want to bring that up is because right now we're in the middle in in this area, uh, in Olympia, in Portland, and Seattle. Those are kind of hotbeds and and nationwide of this debate of uh, listen to me and my grievances, or listen to me and my my political um, demands or perspective even. And if you don't listen to me, is it okay to force you to listen to me? blocking cars or things like that and if you don't listen to me is it okay to spray paint and if you don't listen to me is it okay to smash and if you don't listen to me is it okay to burn or loot or assault where we're on that continuum in 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 anarchy in in uh, revolution and in your own personal political beliefs does that where, where do you land on that continuum well, for me, it's pretty easy. Like, um, it's a pretty easy line and it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm nonviolent. I don't like violence, but I'm not against, um, so people are going to hear that and they're going to say, wait, this guy fights for a living. He's fights professionally. <laughs> um, that's how he it's what he's done for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, have you ever been in a bar fight? Never. Yeah, I don't never, think, I, I don't think I've to... ever seen you fight anywhere outside of a ring. Yeah, like I think I was seven years old when the last time I was in a fight. But, you know, a fight, I, I, I'm just a worker, just like I'm working at Starbucks or I'm working at JCPenney's or something like that. I'm getting paid to do a service, which is fight or entertain like a, you know, a circus clown. Um, and they're paying me a, a percentage of the gate or pay-per-view that they're selling. So I'm really just a waste. I, I, I understand that. Um, I really love my job. I like doing what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, I'm getting paid much less. And so are the other fighters. We're getting paid much less than we're bringing in. So we're wage slaves. So I, I'm a wage slave. But yeah. but still, and, and granted, you said you know early on when you had some really lean times and, and your, your fight club really sponsored you, um, you, those days, fighters were paid next to nothing. Yeah. And um, now it's, it's debatable. There's people that say it's still tremendously low compared to similar things like boxing or NFL or, or NBA stuff. But if you had your way, and, and this was a communist world, would you get you know 75 grand a year and that's it? And it, same as a state worker? Or, or would you get more because you're doing something that's in higher demand or, or a more rare commodity? I mean, I mean, you kind of... I would answer this question by this is like when this virus hit and they said, Oh, you're an essential worker. Well, what? Okay. These, these guys are like food processors. These guys are, you know, restaurant workers. These guys are like doing things that everybody needs, but nobody wants to pay very much for, you know what I mean? So, um, when the, when the shit hits the fan, can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when it, when it gets bad, like we understand what, what the essential, with the essential workers are. So yeah, like I, I don't, if I'm working hard and I'm, and I'm doing fights and I'm getting paid the same as someone else who's maybe 
putting the ring together or cleaning up afterwards. I don't have an issue with that because I'm doing, I'm doing something I love. You know what I mean? And if I'm a doctor and I'm making the same as somebody who's working at a grocery store, somebody, the society has paid for my education society. I'm not having to pay back student loans. Um, I'm doing something I love. I'm making invention. If you're, if you're a doctor because you want to make a lot of money, then, you know, like what, what kind of doctor are you? Are you a good doctor? Probably not. So, um, I, I think, you know, what, what do we do? If, as long as you're willing to work, as long as you put put the hours in, um, and try hard, you know, some people don't want to go to school for, you know, eight years or whatever, and they're fine that, uh, building roads or doing construction or something like that. That's a trade. That's a, that's a, a valuable thing that society needs, but, um, they don't have to go to school forever. So they're out making money a little earlier, but, but it's the, like, the age old debate is that the people willing to go for eight years to law school or yeah. med school, uh, are, are earning that or deserve that reward of a higher, uh, a higher income and working in a profession that fewer and fewer and fewer. A lot of guys can work in a mill. Yeah, there's a huge supply of that labor. Not a whole lot of people can do neurosurgery. Should those guys be paid more? I mean, in a communist society, in a, in a, in a egalitarian society, I mean, I don't believe so because they're they're doing something they love to do. I mean, they're walking out with no student loans. They're doing. They're going to work. They're enjoying the work. I mean, having the idea of working in a uh, a mill or a steel mill for 30 years doesn't excite me. And like, I'm doing the same job every day. Like it, it's like, it's very depressing. Think of that. And so, but some people like, will trade that, put it in the, whatever hours in coming home for, and not having to go to school for, and getting a salary, they'll trade that um, for not having to go to school, for not having to, but some people like want that, you know, they want to be a brain surgeon or they want to do this or they want to, you know, do things. I mean, look at the people who see like, look at the Olympics, the Olympic champions. I mean, unless you're, you know, some like gymnast, some women's gymnast winning the all around thing. I mean, there's no, or like a Michael Phelps, there's no real financial award you know, for being a, an Olympic champion, especially like in wrestling, you're an Olympic champion wrestler, you come home, you get $0. And it's like, it's just a satisfaction that you were the best in the world. You didn't do it for financial reason. But the the thing that's that's missing here is you're taking off um, when with people have equal pay, if there, if there, there's no eviction, everybody's guaranteed, you know, like uh, FDR, he said, he has a he he tried to put this through he said i want a new new deal like a, a new new deal where everybody has a job everybody has transportation everybody has education that they want everybody has a house health care like these 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 basics this is a guarantee right for being an american if you're willing to work um if you if you have this there's not and you have a vehicle and you have things that you need what i mean what's the incentive for making more and more money. You you can you you get a good vacation. You're going to have to work if every if, if the jobs we had, you took out being a lawyer because why do we need lawyers in a in a communist society? Why do you need like accountants? Well, wait, like, you don't you you don't have those in Russia? Yeah, but Russia's not communist. It's not. What what would you call it? Now? Oh, it's a complete capitalist country just like the United States. Um the the culture's different. Um, there's, there's no, there's no such thing as communism in the, in the world today. The, the closest thing you have for communism is maybe going to like Syria or Eastern Turkey and the, the, 
Rajava, these these Kurds who are having like a, a egalitarian society where there's women and men are equal. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what job you have. Um, like there's actual equality, like it's being practiced right now. But this is the only place in the world right now where you like have actual freedom and what I would call like a, a, a communist or but an attempt at a communist society. In those in the debates between capitalism and communism, one of the biggest criticisms or, or socialism too is that uh, what you just said. People say um, that's not really communism or that's not truly socialism. That's fascism or that's totalitarian repression and and dictatorship and so on. And so don't judge communism or socialism by that because that's not the true um, implementation of honest communism. We've never seen it. And and the capitalist perspective or response to that is usually, that's right. Whenever somebody tries to implement communism or socialism, it takes the slaughter of hundreds of thousands or millions of people to force it on people. And even then, to keep people under its thumb, it takes repression. And so you never actually see this uh, communist utopia ever materialize. What do you say to that argument? I mean, that's a, that's a good... Um that's a good argument, but the the problem with it is, is that these people like never had in mind, like even the Bolsheviks in the in the in the Russian Revolution, they never intended. They even said from the beginning, like we're gonna we're gonna control things, um, and then eventually we'll let the state disappear. We'll gradually release, but they increased it. They, they increased the 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 repression and the oppression of the people. Um, communist. It, that's the thing about communism. It doesn't need to be forced on people. For communism is a thing that would have, like, the people need to happen. It needs to happen in a natural way. Unfortunately, when you have, like, what they call revolution or, you know, like the, the Arab Spring or something where people are, are protesting and, like, fighting, like, uh, regimes that are oppressive, there's nothing they they just know we don't like this so we're and it's it's really what's going on right now these these uh people that are pretending to be antifa or like like smashing stuff go we don't like what's going on we don't like what's going on okay okay what do you want then what do you want you're smashing stuff you're breaking stuff you're making change you're trying to make change what change do you actually want and they don't they don't even they have no idea and so that's that's how i differentiate between people who like are actually want a cause or like actually have a goodwill and care for their fellow man at heart and those who are just like destroying stuff because these people destroying stuff just don't like what they're just angry and i'm going to but you ask them, okay, well, let's sit down and have a talk about what, what, what do you see society being? What would be a, a, a good alternative to this? And they have no idea. And so I, um, I've gotten answers from some people. It, it was fuck you. It was an attempt to tear gas me. It was spray painting on my car and that didn't go so well for them. But um, you bring me back to the point that I sort of uh, uh, got off on a tangent. And that is where on that continuum, then if there are those people or if there are people even let's say with the Black Lives Matter movement, if there are people who they're not seeing the political change that they want, um, you can you can peaceably assemble. You can engage in in nonviolent civil disobedience. I mean, we have an, a tremendous history of that, going back, uh, you know, way back to to abolitionists who who would not participate in things, um, all the way up to women's suffrage and and the civil rights movement and on and on um, of nonviolent civil disobedience. But um, 
where on the continuum do you think it's okay to uh, force change with with things like violence, vandalism, arson, looting? Is there, is there somewhere, because you, you said a few minutes ago that, uh, well, they wouldn't listen to us when we were protesting about the JBLM uh, things coming through the Port of Olympia years ago. Uh, so just to get their attention, I spray painted and left a note. And, you know, depending on who who's listening, they might say, you know, that's pretty benign. You didn't you didn't want to hurt anybody. Other people say, oh, God, you know, you did you did 25 grand worth of damage to the sandstone and historical property. And so where do you where how far are you willing to go or how far do you think people uh, should be allowed to go? You know, or could, should I, you be able to block traffic? You know, that's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience and you're affecting people that aren't involved in it. I mean, I, I think the the best way, you know, what I did, spray painting, leaving a note, um, honestly, was quite a lazy way. I don't think it was a wrong way. I think it was a lazy way of like dealing with the thing. And I was um, quite honestly, I was like using, okay, like people know who I am. And so if I get in trouble, I expected to get in trouble. Um, and if people like see that I'm willing to go to jail or I'm willing to get in trouble, get fined, get a felony, all this stuff for this, then it, they might not agree with me. But at least they'll go, why did, why did he do that? He's, he's in the UFC, he's making money, he's doing fine. Like he's not being oppressed like like he he's not being sent to iraq his family's not going to afghanistan why does he care that all this is going on and so i think it would make some people like think okay at least like contemplate like what why would he do that and that that's still going on today like some people when they, we talk about they're like well why did you do that at that time why did you go to jail for three months in the middle of your fighting career and this and so in in that way i think it was successful to make people think but you brought up a good point every every major um turn in the united states that's been like beneficial to the people women's suffrage union rights um civil rights all this happens because of direct action um civil disobedience and peaceful protests none none of it happened because people stormed the white house or stormed buildings and killed people and they're like okay 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 we got to do something these people are, are killing us no it happened because enough people there was a a mat another uh, inertia where enough people made it politically appropriate where um you had to support it it's, it's like now with this with this um you know, after the George Floyd, like now, like people are kneeling at the national anthem. Like before it was like, you were kind of ostracized for doing it. But now if you don't do it, you're kind of ostracized. Like, right. You created a, an empathy or a compassion, a level of awareness in the dominant culture that is way different than trying to, to pound the dominant culture with a sledgehammer. And it would have, and why I say it was lazy, because what would have been better in hindsight, what would have been better? It would have been better going, trying to get, you know, I had a bunch of friends, a bunch of like anarchists, a bunch of people from my gym, got them together, did like marched, you know, got the microphone, you know, said da da da, like in, in staging, like a lot of talks going on talk shows, like local, you know, this and like really trying to build the momentum, like put the, a lot of effort into the fact that we didn't like what was going on. This, this, 
war was illegal, you know, et cetera, et cetera, why we didn't want this stuff going through the middle of our town and tried to build like this, like I said, this inertia, this, this, this movement where it became popular to, um, you know, stop, stop what was going on. And instead of just like, oh, these are, these are these extremists that are doing it. You know, that when it, it's just like UFC, it's a fighting. It used to be an extreme sport. Now it's a mainstream sport, but it crossed that line. They, and by doing that, they had to do certain things. They didn't force it down a throat. They went, they got the boxing commissions on board. They got the, um, the regulators to do the drug testing. They did this, they made it legitimate. So now, yeah, it's, it's an extreme sport. It's, it's, you know, a violent sport, this and that, but it's mainstream. It's like boxing. Now you can, you can see it on ESPN. You can see it on, you know, well, they, th- I think it's still the biggest pay-per-view of all time. It may, it may have been a, a recent boxing match, but before that it was a UFC. Yeah. Fight. And it's, it's, it's big because it's become, they've, they've made it mainstream. They've made it. Okay. They haven't, made it extreme and so the same though we're talking about social movements you gotta you gotta make like the black lives matter the this they're trying to the the goal should be to make it mainstream to make it acceptable to make it like where people are aware like this is why we're doing it we're not we're not just like some outlier that's pissed off and we're gonna block traffic and piss on stuff and tip over stuff and burn stuff. No, we're angry and we're upset, but we care about people. And this is why we care about people. And so this is what our agenda is. And this is what we want to do. And this is how we want to do it. And these are the people that we're working with to make it happen. And we're working with city, the city legislator. We're working with the police force. We're working with these people, not clashing, banging heads with them, like creating havoc. And if you, the more people, and that's, I'll get off the segment, but that's exactly why um, I became in government in, in Russia is because, um, you know, I went there as an anarchist, a communist, you know, worked like doing stuff with, um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, doing seminars and this and that, nothing protesting wise. But I, I understood early on that if I was going to make a change because of my popularity in Russia, I had to work within the system. And, and some people like the Antifa, like, in Greece and some other people that are in Europe that are pissed at me and they say, you're a sellout. You're like working with Putin. You're, you agree with him. You're like, just like, a, that's not true. Like I'm working the best of my ability to make change. I, I could go on the streets and protest in Russia and I'd get a lot of people come because of my name. I'd get a lot of people supporting me, but at the end of the day, I'd go to jail. And if I didn't go to jail, I'd be ostracized to the point or blackballed by the point of the political community where I'd, I'd never, ever be able to make a change. I wouldn't be able to work with kids with free schooling. I wouldn't be able to work with homeless. I wouldn't be able to work with people trying to get their apartments. I wouldn't be able to do the recycling. I wouldn't be able to do nothing. And I, and, to make a point and to be in the paper and be popular like as a uh, some civil disobedient angry american coming over to russia and that's not what i want so I want, you, it sounds like you're you're being pragmatic or being practical i'm being i mean smart about it like really so, so that i mean a lot i'm curious a lot of you, you've you said you'd met vladimir putin yeah yeah he's a judo player so he's he's a fan of fights yeah uh is is and and also you know it's it's pretty well known that our president is a sort of a fan of Putin and some people even say he's trying to have a you know a chokehold on on America the way that Putin has a chokehold on Russia does, does Putin have what you would call the chokehold on Russia or can you talk about stuff like that without uh, yeah I can talk about it um 
the the culture's different. In in um Russia, the people want um they want a strong leader. They want someone who um is authoritarian. I mean some some people of course don't like, you know, maybe a rule that's been passed or something like that. But people want they want fairness. They want um they want honesty and they want someone who's strong and, and is seen like a father protector. And, um, you know, like, uh, you know, they talk about freedom and stuff. I, I feel like in Russia, I have more freedom than U.S. Yeah, in Russia, if I go protest and stuff and get a bunch of people and stuff, there, there's a better chance um, in Russia I might end up in jail. Maybe not me, but. Um, there's a, there's a better chance it's going to cause more problems than in America. But, um, I also am not worried about getting shot by the police. Though the police, you know, they come to, I see them by my apartment every day. They're like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And it's just with regular people. There's no fear of police there because they don't walk around with guns. For but, but isn't there a better chance that you could fall out of a window? Like, like, like the first four doctors complaining about coronavirus in Russia or that you could end up. Uh, you know, face down in Gorky Park. Or, or, I mean, that—that's my that 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 stuff has happened, and that's my image of when a totalitarian dictator has has a stranglehold on a on a country so much so that he's passed a law that says he gets to be dictator until twenty thirty five. And I don't want to get you in any. No, no. Hot this water. this is actually just came up. This was just a constitutional amendment that came up for that was just voted on maybe a month and a half ago there. But here, here's the thing. It's um, the reason I don't see a, a huge problem with this um, is because the people are still voting. He, he, nobody gave him the right to be, they, they gave him, it gave him the right or anybody the right to be chosen by the people consecutive terms, another term, another term, another term. It didn't give him the right to just be dictator or be an authoritarian leader or be the president of Russia as long as he wanted. It gave it. It said that yeah, there's going to be a vote every five years. And do do you think they have fair elections? Um, I believe that the elections are much more fair now. And the reason I say is because in some provinces, there's there's government in, in there. There's big provinces or regions. They're called regions, and there's a regional governor um, who holds the power in that region. And then in two regions, the regional governor, the new regional governor was not from United Russia Party, and it was um, not who the Kremlin wanted in there. So uh, just for people listening, United Russia Party is what? It's the biggest party. Like it's That's like, Putin's party, yeah? Yeah, imagine like the Democrats and Republicans being one party. It's like that. It's the biggest party. And then there's the Communist Party, the LDPR party, um, and then some smaller parties. The LDPR is like a right-wing party, and then, of course, the Communist Party that I worked with um, for like three or four years before I realized they weren't communists, so I quit working with them. But um, they're, they call them the polite opposition because they don't they don't uh, oppose it. It's not like the Republicans and Democrats that are fighting over this and that, and you always vote with party lines and this. There, it's like pretty much United Russia and. The other parties just kind of kind of go along with it, and they're just happy to have some seats and happy, and the people in these parties are happy are just happy to be what they called um, in the state Duma, which is like a like a senator or congressman, 
and they're just happy to be there. But um, but anyway, in in two regions, in two major regions, um, somebody from the United Russia was not voted in as as governor, um, and it didn't sit well with some of the like uh, the who's who of in Moscow. But that's just the way it was. They didn't have like rerun the elections or you know cry. You know, like, recounts that yeah. flip things. So then contrast that. Do you think elections in America are fair? I mean, I I think, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think, you know, I think they do the best they can, you know, with the votes. I don't think there's someone there like switching votes or something like that or a machine that's making it, you know, I, I, I you know, I think if you vote, I think for the most part, the person who got the most vote wins. Yeah. So, um, you live in Russia now. How often do you come over and and see the states? Or I guess what I'm getting at is how aware or how up to date on the news of the day of America are you about? Oh, what's I follow going it on? every day. Yeah. yeah, I follow it every Just day from the internet and so on. Yeah, like I, I'm I got a bunch of like different sites that I go to, like you know, and I'm I shot the Olympia one too. I, I see what's happening in Thurston County and that, but um, Puget Sound anarchists. No, they're, no it's they're, not. they're they're good friends of mine. I hear <laughs> some are political ones, some are some are not. Um, there's a couple of good ones um, that are like just kind of videos of what's going on, and it's um, it's. Uh, what do people on the street in Russia? Th- I mean, one thing that I hear from people is, "Oh gosh, you know, America's being ripped apart at the seams. If China's ever going to strike, it's now. If Russia's ever going to strike, it's now. If we keep coming unraveled like this, you know, that's when when you know your your Pax Romana is is over. When your your golden era." Uh, that's when the, the wolves bite at your heels, and America coming apart is is going to lose not only its its uh, role in the world, but also could could end up being you know uh, civil war or a war with other countries. Is 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 your average Russian asking you about America and what's going on? Yeah. So you 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 brought up two points. Uh, I want to talk about like first, yes, that uh, the Russians ask me all the time. They're like, "Are Jeff? Do you see what's going on in the United States? What's happening? Like, what what the hell's going on? Like, they're <laughs> black people are fighting white people, and they're fighting the police, and they they don't understand at all. Like, why there's a big why Americans are fighting with each other. They just don't understand it at all. And I try to explain. Well, you know, there's been a you know some racial. Um, problems for like many 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 years since the beginning of america and now and it's like it hasn't gone away and it's just it's like hidden in different like red line in different different ways and this and try to explain it but they just don't get why americans are fighting and the other point he brought up is like oh it's a good time to strike like russians see america as a friend like like day-to-day russians the working russians see are interested in America. They want to visit America. They see they're very interested in Americans who come visit Russia. They want to show off the best of Russia. They want to go look. We're, we're, we have a cool country too. Don't think we're less than you. They they want like they're very um, they're proud of their country, but they're um, like the self esteem of their like they they feel like everybody's looks down upon Russia, and they want to show you that. Like Russia's a great country. Look, 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 we have the world championship paraplegic hockey team from our town. Like, like this is right like, a good, like really, like seriously, this was like a big deal. Like we're good people, you know, like think, 
think well of us. They don't want war. They're not thinking of getting Americans. They want to be friends with America. They want to visit America. They want to maybe live in America. You know, they. Well, that I mean, it it, it might sound fluff to some people, but there are social scientists, excuse me, social scientists and <coughs> anthropologists who who credit American pop culture. You know, after World War II, uh, from preventing more. Uh, more war in the 20th century. Uh, Elvis Presley, rock and roll. I mean, America was cool. And that cachet may have played a part in keeping America cool enough from other countries from being able to build popular will to, to you know, go head to head or, or, or want to want to destroy America. That's I think a, that's, that's an, a good point. I, I, I can see that. Ameri like, uh, at least in Russia, they're fascinated with America, fascinated with Russians. And they're, I, I, I would say they're disappointed in looking at what's happening in America right now from what they understand from whatever social media or just the news in Russia. They're, they're disappointed in watching Americans fight with each other. And so Donald Trump gets compared to Vladimir Putin quite a bit and also seems to, you know, uh, have a bromance with, with Putin. Um, what, what do, what do Russians think of Donald Trump? Well, it's changed because when he was first, um, you know, three years ago when he was first elected, people like liked him because why? Because he said good things about Russia, which is the same re reason people liked me when I fought over there. Because I was just a fighter. I fought their hero, Fedor, da -da -da, but they're like, I said nice things about Russia. You know, I said, you know, I like always wanted to be here. I, you know, I, I admire that this is where the first social revolution in the world came from. You know, I love, you know, the people are so nice. They're but um, anyway, um, Trump said some nice things about the people in Russia and so and about the, the country itself. And he didn't want war. He wanted to be friends and that. And so he there was. Yeah, they, they liked him. But now over seeing his policies, seeing his um, his actions over the three years, he's seen as a clown like literally like a clown and he's seen as someone who can't be trusted because he says one thing, does another, says this, does another. He, he lies and it's like shown it's, I mean, everything he says is a lie. This and this whole, like this coronavirus and now it's blowing up in the U S and stuff is seen, um, as his fault. And in a lot of ways it is because, you know, he's took off the task force for, like a pandemic response he fired these people he took away this medical thing to do with that i mean he dismantled the whole like in the last two years but like all the things like to prevent this kind of outbreak he just no nah, it's not important we're gonna get rid of it and like it bit him bit us in the ass and um so anyway they see him now more of a clown um that's not um can't be taken seriously interesting is um, your role in Russia, um, do you have any, I guess I want to say, they get a, a, a world champion fighter from America to defect to Russia. To me, that, that, that like reminds me of like some, you know, <laughs> movies from the 80s, you know, of, of wasn't there a... a, a Baryshnikov or somebody, all these yeah, yeah. defecting gymnasts and and uh, ice skaters and ballet dancers. Uh, were you, are you an absolute rock star over there? Because a you're from America, b you're you're a champion, c you're a fighter, and you're also kind of hey we got one of them to come over to our side. You know, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jeff Munson right over. Um, I think all those are true, except 
the last statement. Um, I don't think it's like, oh, we got one of them. I think it's, I think it's the more like, yeah, he's a champion. Um, but he's an American that loves Russia. That's like, if I had to like say why, I mean, there's, there's better fighters out there. There were fighters in my day when I was at my peak that were better than me, you know? Um, but why jump Because, um, I support them. I said nice things about them. I, I, um, do you think there's any aspect of somebody from the, the apex political, of capitalism yeah. who now endorses communism or socialism? They like that because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot, especially there's a, a lot of young people that, that, um, that are like kind of want, like want to feel for that because they, uh, Russia is poor, man. Like Russia is poor. Like, uh, I just, I visited, a. A factory. This is an example. I visited a factory um, that made crackers and beer and some, I think, cookies. Um, and that's like the thing. They had like maybe sixty employees at this factory. These people, like their their income, every month they work forty hours or forty five hours a week, whatever it was. And this factory, they showed me through the factory, met all the people. You know, they're like very happy to like excited to like, oh yeah, we work here. You know, like very. They want to show off, you know, enthusiastic man. They, they made their, their income was like $300 a month, a month. And they lived. So, but when you say that, if you were in America but here, that's average. Uh, when I used to do psychiatric social work, like if a guy got 325 bucks, yeah. uh, you get him on state GAU. If you remember it, yeah. those that don't know, Jeff and I worked together in psychiatric social work for about four five, years, four or five, five years yeah. before you went into crisis services. But if you had 300 bucks or 325 bucks at the time of income, you were going to be on the street because there's no way yeah. you're going to get an apartment and, and pay electricity and, and food and, and so on. So you're going to live on the street and have money for tobacco and, yeah. and you know, incidentals. If, if you were in 300 bucks uh, a month in Russia, are you paying uh, 300 bucks in rent? Are you paying 100 bucks in rent? Is your rent covered what with the doing, new so that, capitalist so to revolution? It, yeah, to put it in perspective... Um, what they're, they're living with. Cause I actually made the comment like, Oh my gosh, you guys must just see McDonald's all the time. And they're like, no, no McDonald's for the rich people. <laughs> they said like <laughs> they, they lived in houses of like, not just the nuclear family, but they extended like grandmas, grandpas, uncles, aunts, kids in a very small place. And they went out and bought oats, like bags of oats, like bags, you know, for horses. Um, and then they like made bread and other, they, they milled it, they ground it down themselves. They did that to make bread, to make this stuff. They, you know, they tried to grow their own vegetables and fruits and, you know, like there's a, they had a local butchery where they got the stuff that was fairly cheap. So they survived, but it was like a group effort to survive. Um, and it was, you know, about survive. There wasn't, there wasn't, um, you know, there was no holidays going to the Black Sea or stuff like that. It was like it's it's the the standard of living in there is much lower. That you know, the apartment I live in is you know a two bedroom apartment. My I live with my 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 daughter, her mom, her her mom, the grandma, like and together in the super and she sleeps you know, on the couch in the in the living room, we have there's one bathroom in this. You know, it's like, but that's. And do you pay rent to a, a landowner? Do you pay rent to the government? Does the government give no, you free we pay, rent? No, we, we pay like normal rent, like a normal person would do. So, could you buy something over there? If you could, you buy a condo. Uh, yeah, you could buy. Um, is that know. is that for the ultra wealthy? No, a lot of people buy, but that the 
that's like kind of the people that those apartments um there's been kind of a um you know because i as i said it earlier like the um, people would buy an apartment and it kind of gets stung. And so there's been, even though they did change the law, now the money goes into an escrow. And so the the people would uh. get it back if they, so they did change the law, which was good. But um, it's uh, a lot of, lot, the buying has kind of gone down because of that. People are so scared, even though the law has been changed. It just recently got changed. So people are, you know, they got really, everybody knows someone, you know, who, who has been stung by this by this problem so um yeah there's been kind of a a downswing with the buying yeah but people can buy but you're you're you know here they say what one third or one fourth your income should more than that shouldn't go towards you're you're classified as rent burdened if that's the case yeah, yeah. so there i mean it's oh for definitely 50 percent or more of your of your income goes towards rent or mortgage there and that's like normal and surprisingly i, bl- I believe that's the latest statistic in olympia that in the city limits of Olympia, uh, 50% of the population is rent burdened by that definition, meaning more than 30% of your income goes toward your housing costs because we have such a, a ridiculously yeah, uh, hot housing market and it has priced some people out and, and some people say, hey, you know, we're in a capitalist society. If you can't afford uh, $2,000 a month rent, if you just move a couple miles out, you'll have $1,500 a month rent. And other people say, no, that's the definition of gentrification. When people get priced out of where they've lived historically and have to leave because richer people are taking over and they have to move further and further and further away from wherever their their family or urban centers or where they work. Um, And that's one of the big criticisms of the, the capitalist way of doing things. What's your, what's your uh, solution for America? Um, Who do you think is going to win in November? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't understand how, like, I was shy. I remember I was in Russia and I woke up in a hotel the day that he won the election in my, my buddy. Trump. He goes, Trump won. I'm like, You're, I thought he was joking. I had to get on the internet to see because I thought he was lying to me. Um, But I, I don't understand how under this pandemic, under like how he's handled it, how, you know, so many people, 100 what fifty thousand now? Forty five thousand have died, something like that. I don't know. Um, in the U.S., like I don't know how he could he could win at this point. I mean, Biden. Um, I mean, I don't have a lot to good say to things about Biden. You know, like he's just he's a career politician. He's 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 swung the pendulum on, you know, being for against civil rights, for civil rights now. You know, against. Um, um, unions now he's for union you know, like back and forth back and forth back and forth forget about all this like sexual exploits all that stuff but just on talking about politics he's gone back and forth for you know his career when you do something for 50 years you're pretty much gonna cover that's, the whole gamut that's why i like uh sanders man like he like i remember <laughs> like i see photos of him from 1967 walking some civil rights march i see him in you know 1976 doing some gay rights um speech you know that like he he hasn't swung but um you know, his own party doesn't want him to be so um my know, I, fear is that no just like you said you woke up on wednesday after yeah. after voting tuesday uh and uh no matter who wins you're gonna have roughly half the population really really pissed off and hopefully pissed off and doggone it we'll get him next time my fear is pissed off and 
we're going to uh, we're mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore. And and you know, we or see or just as bad. Damn, I'm pissed off. You know what? No matter what we do, it's always the same, same. So I'm I'm not going to be involved. I'm not going to. I'm just going to be apathetic now. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Whether uh, resistance and 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 riots is is worse or. Uh, more apathy. I guess in the grand scheme of things, at least people not getting hurt is uh, is better than people getting hurt. Um, if you, uh, well, I want to like I want to say one thing about the. You said what do we do? So I just kind of said about Biden and and Trump, but we have we have to educate people. I kind of alluded to earlier that people want change. They want they they don't like what's going on, but you there's got to be a plan, man. There's got there's got to be it's not just what we don't want. It's got to be what do we actually want? It can't just be, oh, we want equality. Well, what does that mean? What, are, how, what are, like put it in, put it on black and white terms. Like, you know, like write it out. What does that mean? Does that mean like when I apply for a job, when it mean this, does it mean how, how, is, how would the laws or the regulations or rules be set up to express this um, change that this, that, that you want? Um, at what level are you talking about though? In, it, in, in your presidential candidate or at the street level? I think that's, that's st- I mean, you have to start like grassroots, you know, you have to, and, and let the movement grow, but you know, there's one thing, I mean, obviously it's a tragedy about what happened with George Floyd, but look at all that's that's come of them, you know, have come out of this. We have the potential to make actual change because a lot of people who are just like, yeah, 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 like whatever, 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 are like now, like all of a sudden angry, all of a sudden like like how opinionated, all of a sudden this, but it has, we have to, because, but you we get the bad downside like you've alluded to with people vandalizing and looting and stuff like that but we have the opportunity now if people are more open now because of this all this crisis to be educated they have some people um are putting their feet in the in the sand and like they're no matter what you tell them they're not going to change but the the whole definition of of intelligence is being able to not remember things, not like be a book or or whatever, like pass a test, but it's be able to assimilate new knowledge into what you have your schema already and to use this knowledge and create a new concept and, and, and maybe change your or alter your opinion a little bit and have new perspective that that is the definition of intelligence. And so we have right now, um, you know, I don't want to be like you know piss on these people but there's some people that are just not going to be changed that are just like trump could go kill somebody he could go do whatever he wanted he'd go run over a three-year-old and they're going to support him no matter what like they're just those people but there's a lot of people who voted for him because they didn't want the same old same old the you know hillary clinton just represented the same old career politician this and that in with the banks in with corporations so they would just want to change they're angry but those people who just want to see some change some difference that that are possibly open to something different um are will like now because of this george floyd thing um are, are willing to 
um, listen a little bit and be educated. And these people we have to reach and try to like say, Hey, look, what do we want? Let's like, we don't want, we don't want Trump. This is why we don't really want Biden. And this is why, but what, what do we want? And if one of the, obviously one of them is going to be picked, but what are we going to force and what are we going to demand of this person? Because, um, we don't, you know, we're not going to go with the same old, same old. We're not going to listen to the same old rhetoric. We understand, like, you said this, but you do this. You say this, but you do this. No, this is what we demand. And so, and this is what we want. And we're going to force it. Just like all the social, we talked about earlier, the, you know, civil rights. And this, they they had a definite goal. They were, they were like, we want equal rights. We want equal voting rights. We want equal status. Inside but it. We doesn't don't want that, though, I mean, what you're saying uh, sounds good. And we've had in, in this presidential season, you know, we had everybody from talking about, you know, reparations for slavery to universal health care, a single payer system, um, uh, a universal basic income. And we had some by a lot of American standards, some really crazy shit proposed. We also had by some American standards, some really hopeful things proposed. And yet who won out? The cream that floated to the top is the dude that has been in politics for 45, 50 years. The, you know, if you've had half a century to make change and you haven't done it by now, um, I don't know if you're gonna. Uh, it's sort of like I, I, I tell the story sometimes that you know I spent my wedding honeymoon at Obama's inauguration. I mean, that that's yeah. that's you know that's my street cred. <laughs> uh, as as a liberal, as as a as a sort of recovering liberal in in some ways, um, because everything was going to change, everything was going to get better, and you know, I mean, it was it was nice, but I wouldn't say that everything changed or everything got better. Um, so when we have an, yet another reenactment of, for a lot of Americans, hold your nose and vote. How do you hold? Uh, well, Obama's creed, right? Hope. How do you hold hope for peaceful change, for for beneficial change, when you have all of this potential, uh, you know, uh, that uh, for new ideas and this the same old tried and true is what floats to the top? We have to kind of like we we talked about. We have to make what we consider extremism, like like single parent, single payer, like healthcare, like in U.S. like the like the especially the pharmaceuticals the industrial medical complex they want to make you sound like that's an extreme it's socialism what is socialism is crazy every every other industrial country in the world has it except for the united states but, what's it like in russia you, because you you fight you get hurt you you got oh, i've had i've had, broke your leg right i've had three surgeries in russia three i've had an emergency um surgery to save my life because my um i was bleeding internally i had a another hernia surgery i had a hip replacement all all for nothing for zero i i walked out with zero i had my baby born there did you have to wait six months to get it no you do you get preferential treatment because you're a rock star there um the only one i had treat like preferential treatment is is the hip because i went they actually i did an advertisement for them and i went to the special clinic in a different city but the um hernia surgery the emergency surgery saved my life um they were just I had to wait, you know, do the ultrasounds, to do all this stuff. My my baby was born. We didn't get a special room. Get, you know, I'm sitting in a room with, um, you know, when I had the last surgery, I got lucky because it was room available. It was the VIP room. That was me and one other person in a little tiny room with no 
with one window, no TV, no nothing. I had to go steal a pillow from a from a a hall like uh, a bed in the hall that was just there, one of the carts. I had to steal it to put between my legs. Like, Jeff Muntz and the anarchists <laughs> stealing pillows from poor people in hospitals. Yeah, no, I didn't get it. It's, it's, uh, it's universal health, and it's, you know, it's cheaper. You know, they've done the studies. It's cheaper. I mean, the, the Koch brothers, I mean, as biased as they would be, they came up saying that single-payer system would be cheaper because 30% of the cost of, um, of health care right now is just billing. Imagine you eliminate 30%. And then imagine being stuck with a, oh, I had surgery. Oh, you know what? You have a $3,000 copay. Or I mean, not a copay. You have a $3,000. Um, deductible. Deductible before they even start paying. And then they covered 80% of it in this. But then now you're, it's the doctor was outside your country. Like, it's it, it's it, one of the greatest causes of bankruptcies yep. in, in America. So you take away that and tell me like the average person who everybody... From the moment you're born, unless you're born, like, well, you're still going to go to the hospital. You need healthcare. Everybody needs healthcare. So you will pay in. Um, so you're going to have costs. You're going to have. Um, so this, what doesn't quite fit for me is you're talking about something that sounds socialist. It sounds communist. It even sounds in your definition of anarchy, anarchist, meaning, you know, equality and then no uh, totalitarian structures or so on. But let, we'll, we'll call it that communist or socialist uh but you've also described russia where you live as being completely capitalist so a lot of capitalists in america would say no having this single-payer system for instance is completely socialist we're totally against it let people get it with their job let people save their money and so on and pay for their insurance how, how does russia have rampant capitalism and still also have socialism you because they they rightfully um as as every other country does um they separate healthcare from and education is very cheap too like secondary education is you know maybe i don't know for one year of school is maybe 15 1700 dollars a year for college like at a state college which is still money it's still not free but it's you know you go to like it's finland like or something one tenth of what it would be here. yeah finland they're paying you 500 euros a month to go to college to like as a stipend you know what i mean but it's not like that but um it's much much cheaper. It's, it's affordable but healthcare. so what, what's the idea of capitalism capitalism is to make profit it's to like even at the expense of other people is to do what you can you know like uh adam smith he said if everybody goes out for themselves everybody does what's best for themselves that will drive the market and benefit society as a whole, which is not true, but that that's his theory. So that's the capitalist theory. Is like, I'm trying to make as much money as I can. I'm trying to profit as much as I can. So if you have someone who's sick, who needs health care, how is trying to get as much extract, as much profit from that person beneficial to that person's health? It's not. Well, that's one of the, the common criticisms of for-profit healthcare, um, but you could also say that, there, or, or it's also used to criticize, oh, then then healthcare is immediately put in the business of keeping people sick because they make money off of, but that's not a really, that, that's a tautological argument in my eyes because uh, if you're in the business of helping people lose weight, well, then keeping people fat is going to keep, you know, and everybody who's quote unquote in business is in the business of helping solve some kind of problem 
and providing a service of some sort and or or a product that does something and keeping that problem going is not part of their their business cycle typically it's 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 alleviating a problem so healthcare if you alleviate a problem and you make a profit good on you but let's say we took healthcare and we and we put it over in the category. I think what you're saying is kind of like road building. We don't, I mean, there's some toll roads and stuff, but we all pool our money and we build highways and roads and bridges and so on because that's, it's, it's not really realistic to put a lot of things in or sewage systems to make those, you know, pay to play type of things. So we put healthcare into that category of it's just part of the public good, like, like our, our bus system, our sewers, our roads. Don't you acknowledge that in capitalist worlds like America, people are inspired to innovate and do things that they would never do with with just a, a government dole to make uh, the iMac, to make a Model T or a Model A Ford. That's, to, to that's make like Facebook. that's such a um, that that that's a, that is a classic classic argument. There you go. So refute it. Okay. So. Um, I'm going to go into history first of all, and then I'll, I'll then I'll refute the So, um, the Black Plague in Europe killed what one third the population. So, there was there was then uh, a capitalist market at that point during the Black Plague. Um, you know, rent was expensive, housing was expensive, like job pay was low because there were so many workers and like cramped in cities and stuff. Well, one third of the people got like died in this Black Plague. What happened right after the Black Plague? The Renaissance. Why? Because people like, instead of going, like begging for jobs, it's like, like people were like, at, there was an, uh, there was not enough workers. And so, so they were able to choose their jobs. They were able to have like smaller um, work schedules, have more time off. They were able to pay less for rent or less for mortgage, less, they had more time to themselves. And what did they do with this time? Oh, people started to paint. People started to read. People started to like uh, innovate, have um, like expand on science and astronomy and stuff like this. So, what what innovates people people are human beings have unlimited potential like go to the stars go do this but you can't if you're at home going to work 10 hours a day coming home paying bills you're an average worker you have to work eight 10 hours a day you're you get two weeks off during the during the year for a vacation you're constantly worried about your bills you worry about your 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 car being taken away from you or this or oh, oh the car broke down you got to pay for kids college it's it's constant you know and we're distracted by the ufc or you know like american idol or something like that the, just the opiates us, of the people yeah to keep us like from rebelling but the point is like if you you know i won the world championship okay Man, am I the best of what? If you took every possible person, these all these kids from Africa, all these people from Asia, all the, the poor kids from the U.S., and gave them the same opportunity as me to be in a gym, to work out, to be a, a fighter, to be a, a like to be a jujitsu artist or whatever that would I win? No, because you would increase the the the, the one hundred times by a hundred times the people who are still interested in this. Like, how can you be like a great teacher? Like a, a scientist, um, an, uh, 
anthropologist, really something who makes a difference, some great civil rights. If you're just trying to make it by, there's the UN says 54% of the population on our planet lives on less than the equivalent of $2 a day. There's more than half. So those people, for the most part, and like one in a billion, will never have the opportunity to do anything special. They'll never be able to travel. They'll never be they're this great inventor, right? But the potential's there. They're, they're, they're being lost. That's not, like people starving to death, people like, like going hungry, this is, is, is terrible, but just as terrible is, is the talent and the minds and the opportunity and the, and the, what, what society with the human race lost by this people just trying to survive, just trying to beg on the street for food, just trying to like, so you're, you're kind of preaching the, the slogan of the United Negro college fund, which is a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. But that we're letting this talent, like, and so even the people, in the year, like who are maybe lower middle class or middle class who are working day in, day out just to pay off a loan, may pay off a medical bill. Oh, their car broke down. Now they, oh, they got to like find $400 to, to pay this so they can get to work. Like t- tell me these people are going to be, are going to um, have the time to go do, to innovate, to create to expand, to make something beautiful, to go fight, to be a, a, a trainer, a fighter, a, um, an artist, something. Man, they don't. They don't have the time to do it. They- well, but but I have to stop you and say that what you're describing, that dreariness of just trying to survive, that to me sounds like my stereotype of life in Russian factory work where you can't get ahead or life in a Foxconn iPhone uh, factory in communist China where people, you know, live, work, and die uh, in these factories. Um, granted, to get us cheap iPhones. Um, and, I, and I agree 100%. Like, it this sounds isn't, like the people in this your... Isn't, this isn't the United States, but that's the thing. Like, this isn't a U.S. problem. This is a world problem. But you did, you also just alluded to these people in China or these people in Indonesia or wherever that are working in sweat shops or working all these long hours. Yeah, they're making us iPhones. They're making us like Nikes. They're making us the people in the United States so we can have these goods. But still, the people in the United States are, are not creating... I mean, did you... We have this, uh, I forgot what the program's called, but um, for doctorate students in the United States, the programs, but more than 50%, I think 51 or 52% of the doctorate students in the United States in all fields are not from the United States because our education system is so poor that we can't fill up the slots with United States citizens. These people are from different countries, from India, from wherever they are, um, that fill in like more than half the slots for these PHA candidates that are going to school. And these are going to be the movers and shakers. These are going to be people that are, that are doing stuff in the world. They you know, have a doctor degree. They're in the research and science or, or whatever they're in. Um, but we get our education system. We're just... We're just going through life, working, and and the Russia too, yeah. I mean, the people. In fact, what are, what are these people doing, making three hundred dollars a month? What are they ever going to do? Succeed, achieve, even even fulfill? Like I call it, um, like self actualization, kind of a psych term that we have, like sure. self actualization. Like what they could be, what they would strive to be if they had every opportunity, if they had every dream come true. What they could be, not winning the lottery. No, no, like an actual thing that they earn, that they feel good about themselves. What would they do 
Don't you think, though, that their ability to get the people who worked at that factory in Russia who make 300 bucks a, a month and make crackers and bread as their all-day 40, 45-hour-a-week job, if you're doing that in America, you can go get another job. You can work your way up to own that factory someday, or you could stay right on the assembly line. In Russia, well, I'm not going to say in Russia because you're calling it now a, a capitalist society, but in a socialist or communist society... You could, na- n- you, you know, not all of those people have that option. But you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be working those many hours. You would have, look, how many jobs do we have? I, read, uh, I was reading this article. It was really interesting about how many jobs that we have that don't create, don't help society at all. A banker, like with um, a stock. What's, wait, what's wrong with bankers? Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But like. <laughs> Jobs that don't create, don't um, produce anything, don't help society in any way. Lawyers, like stuff like that. There's a lot of jobs that that don't do anything for society. If you could eliminate these jobs and put people in jobs that actually like create for something, they would. You wouldn't have to work forty, fifty hours a week. You know what I mean? You could work much, much, much less. And if you are guaranteed to have a roof over your head, transportation, healthcare, education, the food, like the base without worrying about your car being repossessed, about losing your house if you didn't work extra hours, this, you could use this time, what? To create. You wouldn't be so dumbed down. You'd, yeah, maybe some people would come home and watch American Idol or some other thing, but you would have more time. You wouldn't be coming home exhausted. You'd have time to do things. So I think you're making the old argument that uh, is often made about labor-saving devices and technology, but also if you have fewer jobs that need fewer workers, our populace has more free time and more recreation time and more time to enjoy quality of life. That's not what we're seeing in capitalist societies. Well, we also, have fewer so and fewer people able to get what jobs. What is capitalist society? We're, we're producing for profit. We're not producing for need. We're producing profit. We're making, you know, five million GI Joe toys when only we only need this many because hopefully we can sell these other or they'll become, you know, blah blah blah. We if we produce what we need and not what is for profit. How many empty houses are in the U.S.? What do they say? There's for every one homeless person, there's five or ten empty houses, empty houses or apartments in the U.S. It's, it's some crazy number. Like I, I had to read it twice to believe it. Yeah, but that stat always implies that we should just take that house away from you and give it to some guy. No, who's- I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that. But I. But the point. I. I see it more as we're producing stuff to make money instead of what people need. You know so I mean? it's a systemic problem. It's a systemic problem. But like, let's let's look. Uh, since we're talking about capitalism, just like I want to make one like point that there's no refuting. Um, there's no arguing about with with capitalism. Capitalism is about expanding, uh, making profit, um, reducing costs. Like for you know, capitalizing, capitalizing, capitalizing. Like making capital for yourself. So the world cannot contain this the world capitalism is a is literally a mathematical model if you put it it's a mathematical like you know hard science model but it doesn't take into account people's health it doesn't take into people's account um into account people's like motivations people's like spirituality people's like hurt desires this and it doesn't keep into account the environment 
It doesn't, we, this world is finite. We have finite amount of water, finite amount of lumber, finite amount of clean air, everything else. Capitalism at the, is about expanding, producing, making, like I said, making capital. It doesn't take into account that these resources run out. It's a mathematical model. The earth cannot contain the continuation of capitalism. And we're seeing this now. Every year, there's less, there's more desert, more, more, like uh, more deforestation. The oceans become more acidic. We're talking about the global warming pan, um, problem now. Um, you know, every year, like water becomes more expensive. Now, you know, I mean, we're buying a bottled water, a little 16 ounce bottle of water for $2. You know, it's crazy. Well, water, you know what I mean? That should be for everybody well, on earth. It'll probably be air in about 10 years. Yeah. You buy a bottle of air. But, but I think you're identifying that the globe, some people would say the global economy is predicated on continuous growth. And if you don't have continuous growth, you have recession, you have depression. And, um, I don't know that that's any different under socialist or communist models, is it? It is because it's it's about producing what people need, not about making profit. So, like we produce way more things than we need now. Maybe there's like a like, you know how many millions of cars and trucks are sitting right across the street in the parking lots there, well waiting to be sold. Uh, Going to be sit there for like, I mean, pro, it's about profit. Can it, I mean, how many people? Like we're billionaires we have in the United States or millionaires we have in the United States that just have three houses and luxury this and luxury that. it's we can't keep producing things. Uh, um, there, there's not enough to go around. There, there's just not enough fresh air. Fresh so water. If, if you had, I, I like, I kind of joke, but my my the the level of socialism that I would tolerate might be like Costco. You know, what I mean, yeah. they don't have the best crap. But they've got pretty good crap. They've got a few of the best crap. And there's usually like you want a snowshoe. Well, there's one kind of snowshoe and it's not very good. But it's it's not Walmart crap either. It's it's not what I would get, you know, top level uh, outdoor research or whatever. Some other, you know, top level stuff. There's limited quantity or limited uh, selection. Is that how life is in Russia right now? Is that how life is under Jeff Munson's (laughs) socialist world? No, I mean socialism doesn't like i said like like real true socialism where the workers have the means of production and communism of course where there's no your the state is eradicated there's no classes um there's never been done so if you with under true true socialism true communism there isn't there isn't a limit on it. you can't make you can make the best snowshoes you could make the best car it doesn't have to be the same plain you know, old Soviet style crap cars that I still see in the, in Russia sometimes that like spewing out like smoke and stink and like terrible for the environment and breaking down. And this is their laughing stocks. Um, you can make a good car, you can make a good thing, but you just, it's, it's for net, for necessity for transportation. But for- hasn't that quality improved in Russia specifically because of the capitalist res- revolution there? I mean, is it, I mean, people, yeah, yeah, it, but I'm saying it could, it also can improve. It's not because of capitalism. Capitalism was a reason. Yeah. Like if I made a better car than you, then maybe people would buy The argument is always competition breeds better. Competition, you know, MMA fighters from 25 years ago when there wasn't as much competition, those guys could not compete today because the level of competition and the pool of talent and so on. But the, but competition breeds improvement. Yeah, 
competition breeds improvement, but so does time and opportunity. So where right now you have competition, you have a limited number of, of people or factories or companies able to make this research or make the like make a better car in in a social society you have more people more ideas that are that aren't working so many hours that have more opportunity with their free time to you know what i'm working on the i'm working on the assembly line making this much i want to i want to you know what i have an idea and i'm only working like five hours a day if I do, you know, I have a lot of free time and I, I'm getting this, I'm doing this, this boring job day after day. I have an idea. I'm not going to make any more money, but I'm going to be up there instead of, instead of work on the seminar that I'm, I'm kind of bored of now, I'm going to be drawing like thing or doing some math equations, whatever, or showing how we can improve the quality or put this extra step in here. That's going to improve this, this, and this. I'm, I'd rather do that. So I'm going to go talk to this guy and show this, my new idea. And now I'm working here and doing it because I have the opportunity that for the time it's, it's not a few people with a few heads trying to fearlessly try to create profit and compete with each other. It's a massive pool that, yeah, there's no competition. I'm not having to compete with that person, but I have the free time to do it. And because I'm a human being, because I have interest, because um, I, I'm a human being that's creative and, and expressive and interested in the world, I'm going to go try to do this or I'm interested in this. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm doing this assembly line thing every day for four or five hours. But on my free time, which I have a lot of now, I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go do jujitsu. I'm going to teach jujitsu for kids down the street. Um, and, and my thing, because some, some kids were showing interest and I saw it on TV and I'm really interested in it. So I'm going to go do that for, I learned it. So I'm going to go show the kids what I know. And all of a sudden we got a little club going and I got time to do it and I'm not having to worry about, Oh shit, I bet I got to go get some sleep. Cause I got to be up at 6am and I got a 10 hour shift tomorrow. No, I'm, gonna, I'm not so, so stressed about in it. In America that, that rather than that being imposed upon us or or, or being systematized, uh, there is a small movement like that of minimalism, of voluntary simplicity, of people who say, "I don't want to work a factory job for forty years. I don't want a gold watch after the end of that. Uh, I don't want to work ten hours a day. I want to work five hours a day." And some people call them hipsters. Some people call them slackers. Some people call them millennials. But they want more out of life than just the, you know the American dream, or they maybe even see the American dream as being unattainable now. But they don't buy as much crap at Walmart or Costco, and they, and they don't necessarily buy their own you know four hundred thousand dollar home. And we leave it up to to individuals to, to decide whether they're going to be. Uh, pack rats that, that order stuff constantly off of Amazon or whether they are more like what you're talking about, somebody who lives a simple life so they've got time and freedom to pursue maybe a more renaissance-like life. Is that the freedom of choosing between those two uh, options or those two ends of the spectrum? Is that not um, good enough? So um, I answered this this way. What is the most, for every person on earth, every single person, I can tell you exactly, I know the most valuable thing for every single person on this earth, because it's the same thing. Time. Time. It's, it's the most important thing you have, because you say, no, my kids are most important. Well, time with your kids, right? 
You want to be time, time, it's time. It's time to go do what you want. Time to reflect, time to sleep, time to love, time, time, time. We, everybody on their deathbed, what's the one thing they wish they had more of? Time. So in a social society, it gives you the one thing that you want more than anything else in society. It gives you more of time. And with this time, it doesn't make you do this. It doesn't make you more creative. It doesn't, it just gives you the opportunity. Time gives you equals the opportunity to do those things, to be more creative. Or maybe you just want to sleep all day with you work five hours. Maybe you want to go home. I just love to sleep and you, and that's fine. Cause that's your, that's your goal. But as long as you put in your whatever scheduled time, you have that opportunity to do, but there's a lot of people as, as people um, that are going to go use this opportunity, this extra time, not only to like have a more fulfilling life with their family, with their kids, spend more time. And therefore like their kids, instead of growing up with one parent at work all the time, the other parent here and growing up, like being a latchkey kid and growing up on TV and this, and maybe getting a little trouble or not having the like thing. And then all of a sudden they're in jail. I think it's it all, all this is the, the butterfly effect of, of capitalism to me a murder if someone gets murdered you can if you want to trace that if you want to look into some scope and rewind that person's life down to childhood i i can guarantee you at some point in there you will see where capitalism caused the the, the so the you're, you're outside off. of my wheelhouse now but i'm going to just ask you yeah. if you know does that mean that crime is substantially lower in socialist or communist countries. I mean, Un- under your under your paradigm, you're describing. Yeah, it, under our paradigm, yeah, it would have to be. Because but is it is it or are we back to the discussion? Well, it's never really been implemented anywhere on Earth in human history. I mean, I think you have a little bit of both. But let's, I mean, let's just use common. If you take away the stress, the um, the like the need for to acquire and you if you have all your basics um accounted for in life you have you you have education and you have secondary education if you if you desire to, for it you have medical care that you have you have transportation you have a place to live you have food and you have these necessities for your family um and so does everybody else are you, are you going to go steal? Are you going to go steal from your neighbor? Are you going to go rob a bank? Are you going to go kill for the, the The likelihood is much less. If you have more time with your family, are the chances of that, of your kid becoming uh, a delinquent, um, getting in with the wrong crowd, um, maybe like doing something bad? Are they less? Oh, absolutely. I would think that it would also be a risk, though, that you would want riches and wealth and luxury that you see available somewhere to to, to an elite, whether that's in America or whether that's the elite in your own country, and it could inspire uh, uh, yearning for those things. So it, it desire, yeah. And it, it, what what does this yearning like happen like? We, we well, this the, American dream. You yeah, see the a lot criticism, of- though, is that that requires that the whole the whole globe that we wipe out capitalism from the entire planet because if luxury and extreme wealth 
exists anywhere, it creates envy in the populace and the people get out of line and the whole thing falls apart. So we have now we're back to we have to exterminate. No, I, I think it goes back um, kind of like what you're seeing in Russia right now. They have this fascination with with the United States. Like they want to they want to come. They want to visit. There's a lot of many people want to live here. But now when they're seeing kind of what's going on with this coronavirus or the response, they're seeing like Trump's up and down stuff. They're seeing the the Biden thing and all the the accusations of sexual misconduct by both of them and this and that. They think it's a, a clown show, and they they don't they don't they don't want that. Yeah, they still want to visit the United States, but they don't want that kind of leadership. They don't want that kind of um like government. It's embar- to them it's embarrassing. They're like they I've had people ask me like, "Do you still have Ru- American citizen?" I know you're a Russian citizen. Do you have American citizen? I go, "Yeah." And I go, "Are are you embarrassed?" Like they've I've had like three people ask me, "Are you embarrassed?" because it's they're like because of what the leaders are you're up to. Um so I think it's yeah, if you see some, yeah, people with riches, people like with this, but if you see like with the side, you see like a high rate of depression. You see a lot of people living in poverty. Yeah, you see some rich people, but then you see people that don't have health care, and you see people who don't have. And you you call you know, your friends. It's it's international now. You know you can Facebook or you know have friends from the United States, and and you're like, oh, how you doing? Oh man, you know I, I lost my job. I lost my health care. Like, I have this thing I can't pay for. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, really? They don't pay for that? So how come then with Glasnost and and Mikhail Gorbachev and the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, Russians sort of like swarmed into capitalism? And, you know, I think it was the fastest growing uh, uh, era of billionaires or millionaires at the time. I'm not sure which. uh, In Russia, because people swarmed into capitalism. Was it because of the oppressiveness of communism or was it because of a corrupt implementation of communism on the part of the Soviet Union? People, um, and I can say from like a million conversations with Russians who lived under both communism and capitalism, well, um, lived under USSR and, and, and now Russia, people miss, miss the social aspect of um of the USSR. They missed um, the housing, guaranteed housing. They missed the guaranteed work. They missed the, um, you know, like things that were like, that, you know, wasn't like 10 people living in the same house. This, um, at the same point, you know, time they like the opportunity, you know, to have a car or to have something else like, like better what they had before. But it's under, what happened in Russia when it's uh, like to quote Vladimir Putin is the, the biggest tragedy, like uh, what do you say? The this geopolitical tragedy in the world, in the history of the world was the fall of the USSR. And what happened is after the fall, these people, there was a land, there was a grab. The, the rich, the oligarchs basically were given this stuff by, by, um, the leaders in Russia, you know, given the access to the a lot of oil, nepotism, gov- a, a lot, lot of, of nepotism, bribes and-, and now and now you you still see this today. Like some of these oligarchs have have kept this that they've had and just passed it on to their their children and their children. And it was it was just a, it was a grab. I want to call it a land grab because it was more than just land. It was a it was a resource grab, and um, 
that people are still suffering today. And you had what happened of you see, um, you know, people in the United States or in the media saying, oh, yeah, then people are able to buy like jeans and they had stuff and they embrace capitalism. This you had the greatest inequality gap, the quickest, greatest inequality crap in the history of not only Russia, but the world when the USR craps and all of a sudden you had millionaires, billionaires, this, and everybody else lost out because all of a sudden they didn't have jobs. They didn't have guaranteed like housing. They didn't have this. Now they had to pay rent where they didn't have to pay rent before. Then they didn't have guaranteed food. You had, you had people literally on the edge of starvation, you know, as well as a bunch of billionaires being created. It was like a massive, massive gap um, that Russia's been trying to recover from from the last, you know, thirty some years. And it, mm. it's it was it was not a good time back then. And it's just like slowly over time getting better, better. The the gap is closing a little bit. There's be um, there was like no middle class before, and now there's a very small middle class in Russia, but it's but it's getting bigger. Um, but it's still very difficult economically, and um, it was a result of of, you know, a, a grab and like you said, a nepotism and, and some people having a lot and, a, uh, and the masses having nothing. Interesting. Well, I want to wrap up by uh, talking about what you're actually, I, I called you America's most famous uh, anarchist or, or communist, not because you've written all these great political essays, but because in American pop culture, you're probably the best known uh, dude in in those worlds because of your celebrity as a, as a champion fighter. Um, so I want to just wrap up talking about fighting and, and MMA and what you're best known for. First off, what uh, being being well defecting to the to 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 Russia and being a communist, being a supportive of anarchy in in your definition of it. How does that play with? with the fight world, with other fighters, with promoters, with getting fights, with fans, where does that land? Um, well, you know, it's never hurt to me getting fights. You know, fight, like fight promoters want, whether they think it's a big thing or not a big thing, they don't care. They like, that's like, okay, if, if people are interested in him or don't like him because he's this or don't care, it's fine because it's, you know, it's either going to not affect me or maybe people, some more people are going to watch him because they want to see him lose or maybe they want to see him win because of his political views. Um, it's hurt me a lot in sponsorship, a lot. Like as far as getting, um, you know, I had a good sponsor for several years back, a nutrition sponsor when, and the company got, they were about to renew it. And the head of the company didn't really just saw my pictures and stuff and had, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I want to get to know my, my clientele better, you know, like, cause he's a businessman. He goes, I, he just Googled me and it's like, drop, <laughs> drop this guy today. Like, yeah, it was like, and so I lost like a good sponsorship, um, it's cost. It's definitely cost sponsorships in, in this, but um, I would expect that. Uh, and what I've what I know, having been to fights with you and stuff, that other fighters, who you are as a person, and just just knowing you and liking you, trumps any political. Yeah, disagreement. I, I don't have any. I've I've never had any political. Other guys on my own team, <laughs> like American Top Team, because we've had like some really right. You know, we have like uh, we had, who was on like. Colby Covington, you know, the ultra right wing, he was, you remember my team mm -hmm. before. And then, but you know what? It never affected our friendship. It never, we, we joke about, it. I call him like a, 
like you freaking Trump loving your body. <laughs> you like you goddamn communist like scum. You know, like but it's we can do it, man. It's fun. That's why we have a good team. Well, and and I I put up on our on our show page that I don't know if you posted it, but somehow somebody brought it to me. Uh, an old fight with you and and uh, Navy Seal Jocko Willink um, from like ninety five or two thousand five, and and I couldn't imagine two guys fighting who are more politically uh, opposite. Is there something about fighting though that that I mean, knowing what it's like to prepare, knowing what it's like to sacrifice, that you share camaraderie in that more than what you share as as conflict or opposition. Uh, politically there's that you know um one of the like kind of most cool moments i had i went to uh, poland and did the this a few years back and did the world world jiu-jitsu champion grappling championships and there were people i it was in krakow and there were people from you know united states brazil russia this and that and i was actually representing usa at this time and um for every and so i made it to the finals and like every country, man, they were like such support for each other. Like whether you were from, I think the guy I fought was from Spain in the finals. And man, there was like people cheering us both on. And afterwards, they're like, we did a little kind of seminar. of like, oh, how'd you do this? And we showed like, you just supported each other, man. It was, it was fantastic. And afterwards, the next day, like a bunch of us, like from different countries, like some of us, we couldn't even communicate language wise. Um, we went to Auschwitz, went to Auschwitz League. It was a, like, that was another kind of emotional thing, like together as a group, like, because you know what I mean? And it's people who never met each other other than one day before, like support each other during this competition, wanting the best and then go and experience like, uh, like one of the most emotional experiences someone could possibly do and go into this camp. And it was, it was, like one of the coolest moments I've ever had in sport. It was it was pretty pretty cool. I, I think that's one of the unfortunate things for people who kind of blow sports off as being um, combative or 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 toxic masculinity or you know national jingoistic nationalistic pride kind of stuff that 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 completely overlooks uh, and and grossly oversimplifies the the bridges that can be built beyond language, beyond politics, beyond race or ethnicity or religion is that people that share a common bond for uh, a sport uh, uh, that takes a lot of dedication and and sacrifice that that that's an incredibly bonding thing to share something like that with with other people yeah. you know who it's a great it's it's uh they say sport overrides politics and in in, in the case of competition it really does and it's, it's fantastic it's uh it's a, you got to experience it to understand it but it's it's uh you feel you feel human, and you feel like you're part of the human race when you when you do it. What what about here in the U.S.? I mean, when you're back, you know, you come back. You said several times a year. I haven't seen you for a while. Um, do people know? I mean, man on the street are they are they? Oh, that's Jeff Munson, the fighter, or that's Jeff Munson, the communist, or that's Jeff Munson, the communist fighter. I love him as the fighter, and I don't really care that he's a communist. Um, well, in the U.S., like like quite honestly. Uh, like like an Olympia Lacey, Tom, you know, people will know me from from me in the area. But um, like in Florida, some of the things. But like in the U.S. in general, people only know me, like the old school guys, like 
who watched the USC back in the day or fighting back in the day or some, or like a jujitsu guy. If he does jujitsu, you'll probably know me, but the general people don't know me, don't know me at all. And, and like, this was the same in Russia at the beginning. Like people like, Oh, you fought Fedor. I saw you on TV. You're a fighter. And so people who watch fighting were interested in fighting, like knew who I was. But then, um, I did a couple more fights and I did some seminars and then I was on the Ugin Ugin show, which is like our late night, like, Okay. Like their equipment, they only have one late night. So like it's instead of competing, like everybody watches this. So I was on this show and I remember the next morning um, when I was in a hotel, I was getting up the, like all the, the, the may who are doing the beds and all the stuff, cleaning the hotel, like, we're, oh my gosh, it's like, God, like we saw you on the show last night. So they, the day before, they had no idea who I was. So you're telling me if if, if America became communist, <laughs> I, I wouldn't get to choose between Jimmy Fallon or or somebody else. Well, it's or- not communist. It's such a good show that I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, they don't need a competition. But um, like in 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 Russia now, and just because of the good the things I've said about Russia, I was on Dancing with Stars in Russia. I've been on like many of their like, uh, you know. Um, America's Got Talent, Russia's Got Talent. So I've been on like, not as a judge and because uh, I don't have any other talents. But uh, but wait, on, on 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 Dancing with the Stars Russia version, were you a judge or were you a dancer? I was a dancer. Seriously? Yeah. All right, we're going to get that. You didn't see that? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to. Um, the best experience of my life. The best, the best three months for me personally, without involving my kids and my love for my kids and stuff like that, but just for me as a selfish, like what it, what made me feel good, the best three months of my life by far. Was on the Russia Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, like compete, like training, meeting the other things, having a beautiful, fantastic dance partner. Like um, it's like the best three months, maybe three and a half months of my life. Like just- wow. It was fantastic. The, the people were amazing. The, it was like even like the makeup people, like like the show producers, the other the other dancers, the judges. Everybody was. It was like wow. Community like a, you talk about like the people rooting on each other in sport. It was like that. Everybody helping each other. Everybody wanting them to do bad or good, um, better and better and better. And it was like it was like fantastic. Interesting. So, and and what is your relationship? I. I I was looking at your Facebook today, and uh, there's a picture of you kind of looking like you're in a standoff with cops. And I remember at the time when that photo went went big, people thought it was at the the sport protest in Olympia back when they were putting the military equipment that you talked about earlier. And it actually was, uh, I think, you doing a workshop or something back east. Uh, uh, but the photo looks, yeah. and it reminds me of a story I heard from uh, my ex is a, a law enforcement, and. Uh, I heard through the grapevine that uh, when you were down at the port protest here in Olympia, that that you had kind of an interesting relationship with law enforcement. That that you know some of them were kind of afraid that this guy's yeah. we're just going to tase you preemptively. Yeah. Was that was that and and the other was that a lot of guys liked you know a lot of guys in law enforcement like defensive tactics. Yeah. They like jujitsu. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's like, yeah, it's right, like, probably a week before I spray painted the Capitol, and we were, like, protesting because they were driving through, and we, like, made a um, a human chain just holding each other's hand, like, women, men, me, and I was, like, in, in this human chain, and so they just went, you know, the cops uh, and the police came, and they took off, they started arresting 
you know, reading the, like saying, if you don't move, that I will arrest you. And then going, like, just taking off each end, going boom, boom, boom. Like, there were probably 15 of us. And then. So that 14. sounds pretty respectful and civil. Yeah. There, it was, there's no, you know, nobody fought. And so then it got down to me and this one guy, the last two, standing in the middle of the road holding hands. And so the, the police guy came up and go, hey, look, we know who you are. And we're going to, we don't have to. You know, and there's a lot at this point, there's a crowd like looking on, you know, like filming and all this stuff. And they go, we're going to, we don't want to fight, you know, so we're not, we're just, you know, we don't want blah, blah. And I go, he goes, actually, some of these guys here go to your school. <laughs> like, you know, and we actually asked them to back off because they're, they're not, we don't want like, uh, you know, being torn between. Interest. Yeah, right. So they're not going to be part of this. But some other guys are going to, you know, they're going to tackle you. I go, I'm not going to fight but I'm not going to let you take me either. I'm not going to punch anybody. I'm not going to break anybody's leg. I'm not going to choke anybody, but I'm not going to let you take me. And so they, he goes and talks to someone, comes back, goes, okay, we're just going to tase you. <laughs> and then whatever. So then there's no, and I go, okay, I'm holding your holding hands with this guy. And if you tase me, it's going to be on everybody's it's on media. Cause everybody's filming this and it's going to show you coming up to a guy without trying to rest him, tasing him me falling down and then you're resting me and like, it's not going to look good. So he goes back, talks to the guy and then they end up driving around to a different, they just went a different way. They just avoided the whole thing. So, <laughs> but I was just nonviolent civil disobedience. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, right. So I want to, my last thing I want to say is, you know, people ask, you know, about the culture in Russia and like, why I love Russia and this and like, and I, you know, I love, yeah, I say I love people in the United States. You know, I, obviously I don't love our government at this point. I don't like I'm not in love with the Russian government either. Um, but there, you know, I have my friends here, my family's here. You know, like I have people I care. My team is in America. Um, when you, when you, if you have a child, which you have a child, you want what's best for your child, right? So you're not going to let your child. Oh, my child. Oh, you want candy here? I'm going to give you candy. Oh, you want more candy? I'm going to give you more candy. Oh, you don't want to brush your teeth tonight? I'm not going to make you brush your teeth. Oh, you want this? I'm going to give Because that's not good for your child. Like, you know it. You you have to discipline. Oh, you did something bad? I'm going to have to discipline you. So you want what's best for your child because you care for your child. You love your child. So it's the same thing I, I say about America. If you let your child go invade Iraq, invade Afghanistan, like America, patriots, we stand by our forces, we do this. You know it's wrong. You feel ethically it's wrong to go kill people in different countries for oil. You feel like um, going and like not protecting yourself from this this virus or whatever, not doing it and letting people die and, and the government's not doing what it can. You, you want to pro, you want to say, no, I didn't know this is not okay. This is not, I, I demand because I care about you as a country, not be, where my family lives, where I live, where I, where I grew up. I care about this country enough that I want to make it better. I don't, I don't want it to be, like a, a patriot doesn't stand by and let his country do whatever it can, whatever it wants, and and treat its citizens and other citizens, whatever, however it chooses, without consequence, and just keeping keeping your mouth shut and saying, "Hey, no, that's wrong." Like if you care about your country, you're gonna stand up and say, "Hey, I support this, but I don't support this, and this is why I don't support it, and this is why it's wrong, and I want to make a change. I'm not just gonna go destroy and break and." 
tip over cars. I'm going to say, no, let's make a change. Let's like get together. Let's get a group together. Let's get more and more masses together and make it like not okay. All of a sudden, not okay to do these kind of things because enough people are agreeing that or understand or being educated that, hey, our country's doing something bad or not or hurting people. So let's make a change. Let's, let's make this change that we can do because we care about our country. Not if you care about something, you don't let it do what it's want. You don't let your kid do what it's want. Same thing with your country. You want to make a change. You want to make it better. So that's how I respond to people who are like, oh, you, you know, you're, you do, you're saying this, you're doing this. It's because I care. I want, I want to make a change. And there's a lot of people who care so much that they're willing to go to jail. They're willing to like hold hands and get tasered and get pepper sprayed and, and, and stand them and, and march and, and, and still like care for the police and still care for the people who are oppressing them and still want to make a change. There's so many people out there like that. And I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there's so many good people in America and in different countries that want to make a positive change. So we need to focus on that too. But um, we just got, we got to work together and we got to make changes together because we care about each other because we pair out this country. All right, Jeff. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to The David Ross Show. Please give us a like or a share and subscribe to the podcast if you want to keep up with the latest episodes as we start to kick things into high gear. And as always, stay safe, wash your hands, and don't touch your face.